You mean the novelty? Welcome to The Novelty, a podcast dedicated to books. Not just the Western male-centric books from your high school lit class. We'll also read books by women, people of color, and from around the world. We'll dive into literary technique and character analysis. But don't worry, we aren't afraid to spill the tea and give our unfiltered opinions. Together, we'll redefine the classics. Will today's pick stand the test of time? Keep listening to find out. Good morning. 2023 is over, almost. I know, that's kind of crazy. I also feel like I said good morning like a the news channel. <laughs> good news morning, anchor. to the novelty news. <laughs> Hello, New York. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing, is this book worth it? Now, Neha, I know you've done this kind of work before, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... We wanted to wrap up our year in reading. We try to read a lot outside of what we read for the podcast, and we wanted to talk about some of the books that we've read, um, especially some of the more popular books that we've seen all over the internet and social media, and weigh in. Yes. And I have not done too much reading outside the podcast this year, but most of the books that I picked are still pretty popular, I would say. They all came out in like the last two or three years. Yeah, so that's our disclaimer. These are not books that were all released this year. Like, we don't really pay attention to release year. So most of my reading is not current to what's coming out in the past few months. Mm -hmm. So this isn't books that came out this year, but a lot of them have come out in the past five years and have generated a lot of hype. Yes. Hence the name, Worth the Hype. (laughs) I have to say, we may alienate a lot of people (laughs) with this episode. Because I have some strong opinions about books that a lot of people love. I think generally when I see a book that's like really popular, I already go into those books slightly skeptical because I just don't trust society, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag trust issues. Um, (laughs) But I will also say that some of my books may, may anger people. With that said, should we get into it? Let's do it. Okay, so my first review is two books, actually, by the author Sally Rooney, who has generated a lot of buzz over the past 10 years. She's an Irish author, and she has just kind of generated this cult following, and people have called her the voice of the millennial generation. Really? Yeah. How did I not know this, being a millennial? (laughs) I don't know. A lot of her books are centered around college age and kind of growing up into this modern world we live in. So the first book I read of hers was Normal People earlier in the year. And this book is about Connell and Marianne. They meet when they're in high school and then they end up going to the same college. And the book kind of chronicles their friendship, their relationship, and the issues that they have communicating with each other, them drifting apart, coming back together. I think I had unrealistic expectations of this book going into it, where I thought the book was going to be kind of like a slice of life about ordinary people and going, or normal people as the title says, and I kind of thought it was going to be very floral language and nice descriptors and like deep insights about the human condition, millennial, what it's like to live in the current day, and I don't think that is exactly what it was. And I thought about the plot distilled down to its 
core is about two high schoolers who have a messy romantic relationship. And then I realized if that was just a description, it wouldn't have captured my interest. So I didn't like that one. I didn't finish it. (laughs) And then I just kept hearing about Sally Rooney and I was like, this seems like honestly the type of author that I would like. Like she is shelved under literary fiction. She writes about kind of the millennial ennui. Um, so I picked up another one. I was like, maybe that was just not for me. And I read Conversations with Friends a couple months later. This one is about Frances, a college student who gets herself involved in an affair with an older married man, but she lives with her ex-girlfriend. And there's this kind of group of characters that have strange, difficult to label relationships with each other. There were definitely parts that were really funny in the book. I was reminded of The Idiot by Elif Batuman, which is also about a college student, but it's kind of a different mood. And I think, here's what I'll say. I think Silly Rooney is a good writer, and I think she does something unique that not a lot of other people can do, which is capturing the kind of disconnectedness of people and miscommunications that happen on a really small scale, but that can affect larger things. And she also does a really good job of capturing and incorporating technology and social media into books in a way that's very seamless that I think a lot of other authors have struggled to do or just avoid it altogether because it feels difficult. You don't want to read about someone checking their phone. But I think the thing that didn't work for me is that she gets really good at getting into the heads of her characters, but I don't think it can relate to the kinds of characters that she talks about. Like, it's almost like the new version of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like this awkward, loner, overly anxious, not like other girls girl, seems to be the protagonist of all of her novels, and that's not me or somebody I can relate to. So I think ultimately it's just not for me. That's fine. Yeah, but I wouldn't say it's a bad book or she's a bad writer. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like, didn't feel good when I read it. Yeah. And not in a way that I felt, like, spawned interesting thoughts. Yeah. Or, like, things to think about. It was more just, like, uh, I feel kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, I totally get about not being able to relate to the main character and that changing your outlook of the book because I felt like that on another book that's on my list. It's a trilogy. I didn't make it through the entire trilogy, but I really tried because I'm not the type of person that doesn't finish a story. I'm exactly that type of person. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I I put down Shadow and Bone by Leigh Bardugo. It's really popular right now because it was made into a, I think, Netflix series, some TV series, and it's supposed to be really good. And I could see it maybe doing better in motion picture than in the book because my main issue with the book was the inner dialogue that the main character had. But what the book is about is it's the protagonist's name is Alina and she's this like kind of lazy, not ambitious, doesn't really care about anything kind of person. And she, in the very beginning of the book, discovers that she has this like immense power and the place that the book takes place in is a war stricken place but it's war between like humans and creatures and it's like super YA fantasy Mm -hmm. Alina of course is like in love with her best friend but she doesn't know it (laughs) and then she 
gets this power and everybody's like, oh my gosh, like Alina's like this crazy witch girl that has these crazy powers. And this one character comes into picture that is evil who also has a crush on her. So it's like this weird love triangle thing. It's filled when I like first picked up the book, I got vibes of like teenage romance, mean girl drama, angst and conflict. And I was like, perfect. This sounds like the best like weekend <laughs> book. I can just run through it. But I think my issue about it is that the main character was super immature. Her like careless, like I don't care about anything attitude kind of bothered me. But I also read another book by her, which was her first adult fantasy. She's written a lot of YA fantasy. And another series that you might be familiar with is called Six of Crows that she's also done. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. Six of Crows, Shadow of Bone were both made into a TV series. And this other book that I'm talking about, the adult fantasy, Ninth House is what it's called, is being adapted into a movie, I think, by Amazon. So clearly her books have like potential because they're being all being made into movies which though i will say is a bit of a low bar because i think everything i've seen has been made into a movie like mm-hmm. anything that has captured any kind of reading population they're making it yeah. into a movie or series but anyways ninth house was also same issue i thought the main character was super immature which i was surprised by because this one was like marketed as like an adult fantasy book that i thought but she, again, I guess she's, like, in college, and, like, college students are, let's be real, not adults yet. I would say Shadow and Bone, not worth the hype. Okay, so that is a good lead-in to my next book, because this is fantasy as well, and it's A Court of Thorns and Roses. Mm. <laughs> Which I, I did already mention, I think, in the our Get to Know Us episode. But this book is the first in a series by Sarah J. Mass, who seems to be, like, the fantasy writer of the moment. I cannot go... Yeah three posts on Instagram without seeing her stuff everywhere. The book is described as inspired by Beauty and the Beast, but I think that's a really loose thread. Um, so it's about this huntress, Feyre, who's kidnapped and brought to the fairylands by Tamlin, who's one of the high lords, and it's this whole other world, so there's fairies and other things. As she adapts to her new life at this court, she learns that something's not right in the fairylands, and of course, as the protagonist, she has to find a way to stop it. At face value, I should have really liked this book. It's got, like, all of the elements, like, fantasy inspired by fairy tale with, like, a little bit of a love story and adventure, but it just didn't give me anything. I just feel like the characters didn't have depth or motivation So when I was reading about them doing things or things happening to them, I just kept asking why in my head. Mm. Like, immediately after Tamlin meets her, he's, like, madly in love with her and does anything to protect her. And why? Like, like, is she that beautiful? Like, is he just obsessed with how she looks? Like, she hasn't done anything for him to know her personality. Like, none of it just made any sense. She's not a bad writer. I wasn't, like, tripping over grammatical mistakes. I just was bored. Yeah, I have stayed far away from Court of Thorns, mostly because, like, the fan base that that book has... Yeah, it's is, crazy. It's intimidating. Mm-hmm. It's, like, me being afraid to t- say that I'm a Taylor Swift fan because I like her, but also I don't know, like, the words to every single one of her songs and, like, her dating life in chronological order. <laughs> and I feel like most Taylor fans do know that. Yeah. Like, I'm scared for you by saying <laughs> this because <laughs> the 
there's so many people that are obsessed with this book. And I feel like I mostly see it on spicy book talk. Yeah. And so I'm curious to know if the spice is good or worth it. I don't know because, okay, this is another book I didn't finish. So everyone who is listening to this episode probably hates me for disliking books that I didn't even finish. But um, I read most of it. And there wasn't any spice in the first one. Hmm. Which, okay, like, in a series, if you're going to build to that in the third or fourth book, I actually think that's good to kind of build that tension and then it kind of makes sense. But then you have to make the first book believable and it has to actually build. Like, you can't just automatically be in love with someone for no reason. Is that what happened? They were just in love with each other for no reason? That's what it seemed like with him. And then she was, like, kidnapped or taken away, something. So she is just kind of intrigued about why he's not killing her or why he's doing certain things. I don't know. Maybe if I had read this when I was 17, I would have really liked it. Because what it reminds me of right now, like at least the romance part, is kind of Twilight. Mm -hmm. Because Edward just kind of randomly gets obsessed with, I was about to say Kristen Stewart, (laughs) (laughs) Bella Swan. Yeah. And... And so she also doesn't have any, like, rhyme or reason for liking her. She's just, like, this super average girl. But you get payoff in the first book itself in terms of their romance. And it gets complicated later on. And I feel like that was a good way of doing it because you get what you want from the first book. And the second book, you're like, okay, where is this going to go? But if you're not getting anything from the first book itself, I feel like it seems kind of like a waste of a book. Well, I think that's probably the issue with it for me what you said of like even in twilight there's no reason for him to be obsessed with her but when we read it we didn't question that at all like that was not a question in our minds because we were 13 so i think it just is probably my age and like outlook on the world where i'm like things need to have reasons like things don't just happen where a teenage reader might not be thinking those things and just want the story of it so yeah i would say Like, there is a book that is very similar to A Court of Thorns and Roses that I liked a lot better, and it's called Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Basherdust. I don't know how to pronounce Mm -hmm. her name. It is loosely a retelling of Snow White, and it's pretty similar where it's, like, what I think of as light fantasy where you don't need to do a lot of heavy lifting to understand the world Mm -hmm. it's in, but it's kind of like a kingdom and there's some magic elements. And that one just, like, made more sense to me. Like, people had reasons for doing things. So that would be my alternative that I think is better and that I haven't really seen on Instagram or book talk at all. Yeah. But I think it would be good for a YA audience and an adult audience. Got it. Yeah. I I felt the same way about Shadow and Bone where I was like, am I just getting too old for YA? But then I read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And that book is also considered YA fantasy, but I loved it. This book is, like, about this girl named Addie, and she basically signs a deal with the devil where she thinks that she's being gifted immortality, but then she's also cursed that everyone she will ever meet will forget her immediately. She is not able to make connections with people. She's not able to go through day-to-day life because people forget her as soon as they meet her. And she lives through, I think, like, three centuries before she meets someone that does remember her and the book is kind of about their relationship i thought it was like a little bit more complex story-wise and character-wise than the other YA fiction books i've read recently 
I really liked the writing because it was super easy. I don't think it was like anything to write home about. And I think when I read this book, it still hadn't yet got the Instagram or TikTok hype because I received it in a monthly book subscription right when it came out. Mm. So you liked it before it was cool. Yeah, I was (laughs) one of those. And so I read it and I was like, oh, this was really good. And then I started seeing it everywhere on Instagram and it actually got a lot of critique, I think. I was like one of the few that actually did like it. Most people didn't like it. Oh, why did people not like it? I don't know. You should tell me. Didn't you not like it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I started it. I wouldn't say that I like didn't like it. Like, I'm a big mood reader. So when I picked this book up, I only got through like four or five pages. So Wait, what? Yeah. That's it? Yeah. So I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't say that I didn't like it and like I'd be open to trying it again. I just think I wasn't in the right mood when I started it. You should try it again. I feel like that book definitely worth the hype. Yeah, I'll try it. My next book is, I guess, a romance or romantic comedy, which is not usually what I read. But sometimes I'm in the mood for it. And it's Book Lovers by Emily Henry. So this and her other books, I think she has Beach Read, Happy Place, they are everywhere. Oh, I've heard of Beach Read. Yeah. I don't normally pick up rom-coms, but when I picked up this book, I was in the mood for that. So the book is about, it's like a basic structure. It's like about this city girl who has a cutthroat job and she goes with her sister to a small town, but she runs into like some agent from the city who is actually this small town boy who has come back to visit his family and help out with their business. And from there. Sounds like literally every other like rom com. (laughs) Like nothing surprising there. So from there it goes, like I don't really need to say more about what happens. Like it's just a rom com. But it really, really did not work for me. I felt like the characters were really inconsistent and made no sense to me. Like the main character girl is described as being cutthroat and like no time for love and like whatever, which is also like obviously a trope, but her thoughts and actions were just inconsistent with that. It didn't even feel like there was depth to the character. It just felt like it was messy writing, like not good character investigation. And then the other thing that really bothered me was the tension didn't build the right way. They have an encounter very shortly after the book starts where they kiss and they like almost go further, but they're interrupted by something. And to me, the way that scene was written, it completely removed all of the tension from the story. Um, Where I was like, okay, maybe I could have bought into this if the relationship and the tension and the obstacles had lined up in the right way. But now there's no, like, they already had, like, a steamy kiss and, like, I have no more investment in the relationship. Yeah, that does sound similar to how I felt about Shadow and Bone. The characters had inconsistent personalities. So I just got irritated because you it's like you think you know it sounds so dramatic you think you know someone and then, <laughs> and then they do something like completely out of the blue that you don't understand so yeah. it just kind of like is infuriating yeah so it's very jarring it. yeah and i read this book at the same time that i read a book by sophie kinsella who wrote confessions of a shopaholic and a couple other famous mm-hmm. ones oh yeah yeah and it's called i've got your number and it's not one of her better books i would say it's pretty average but i had a lot of fun reading it mm. they're 
is a little bit of suspended reality that you have to buy into for the book. The premise is she has to share a phone with this guy that she runs into because she her phone gets stolen and like some of it is a little bit unbelievable, but everything within the world of that suspended reality makes sense. It was just like I just read it at the same time with book lovers and I was like this one did everything so right. And Book Lovers, I will say, not worth the hype at all. There's so many other good rom-coms that you could pick up. But I do think I've heard that from other people that this is not one of her better books. I won't knock her as an author. Well, my next book is going to be a controversial one. <laughs> Which ones haven't been? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Have you read it? No. So I'll just tell you like a little bit of what it's about. I think the plot line is actually very interesting and had a lot of potential, but the way the book is written is it flips back and forth between past and present. And it starts off with this girl. I think her name is Kaya. She like lives in this swamp, basically. Not swamp. She's not Shrek. She <laughs> she lives in, like, a marshy area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's in North Carolina or something. Like, the book kind of parallels between her growing up, not going to school, like, kind of being one with nature, creating food for herself by catching fish or berries, trying to sell those things, and, like, that's one side of things. And then the other side is this investigation that's happened. There's been a murder of this very popular guy in the town that they live in and she's being questioned for it she's like the prime suspect for it so like just me telling you this it sounds super interesting like but i tried this book in book form in (laughs) audiobook form in movie form because the movie came out this year or late last year and i hated it every single time oh no i know i think the circumstances of what was happening seemed too unbelievable for me to just accept and move on. But the thing that is super controversial is the author, Delia Owens. Mm. Oh, I may have heard some of this controversy. Probably. Yeah. So she is actually a zoologist. She spent many years of her life in Zambia filming a documentary about Mm anti-poaching, which is great. During this documentary, someone was shot and killed. And they included this in the documentary. They don't really explain how this person was shot and killed. And I think they included it in the documentary for, like, shock value. Mm -hmm. But since then, she's been, like, wanted in Zambia for questioning of how this person was murdered. Wait, what was... (laughs) I'm so confused. What was the explanation that they gave for this man being shot that they put in the documentary. I didn't watch it, so I don't know exactly the details of this, but there's like a lot of subreddit posts that talk about how people think that this book is a confession. And that's where I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? Because the book is about, I mean, I don't want to give out too much for people that actually want to read the book. Okay, so spoilers here. In the book, she basically gets away with murder. Hmm. And so people, like, drew a lot of parallels with the book. It's like, oh, she's, like, one with nature. She loves animals. Like, that's very similar with, like, the author and her life in Africa. Wow. I don't think I'm going to read this book, but I will be reading up on the controversy. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know, like, too much about it. I think, honestly, a lot of it is people just kind of creating the controversy. Yeah. Okay, my next selection goes well because this is also a controversial author. 
So the next book, this is probably the first one I'm listing that came out this year, and that's Victory City by Salman Rushdie. So he has been a controversial figure. His books have been banned in a lot of countries. But the book itself I was pretty excited about. It's kind of like historical fantasy slash mythology. It's like all of his books come under that category. Yeah. So it reimagines... So Vijayanagar is a real city in India that had like a large empire in the past. And if you translate it literally, that translates to Victory City. So this book reimagines the history of the city Vijayanagar and its rise and fall through a young woman, Pampa, who's the main character. At the beginning, she witnesses her mother and other women committing sati after the empire is invaded, um, which is an old practice where women would sacrifice themselves when their husbands died. And... When she sees that, she vows to never let anyone do that again, and she decides to build a new city. So that's kind of the premise of the story. Up until this point, it was really interesting for me, but afterwards, it kind of just completely loses the plot. There are all these new characters that get introduced, and they have really ridiculous-sounding names, and I don't really know what he was trying to achieve in the book, because the way it was written reminded me of the way that myths and like historical epics are told where the characters are a little bit one dimensional and they have maybe like one characteristic that defines them. Like when we talked about the Mahabharat, like Yudhishthir is honorable. That's his characteristic. Bhim is warrior. That's his characteristic. And things just happen that you had to take at face value. But I think that works in myths and stories that get passed down like that because those are often fables or they have some kind of message or moral and they have like a broader meaning to a certain audience or population. But this is a fictional story it has nothing to do with actual Vijayanagar, but then he uses Vijayanagar as the nidus of the whole thing. So it makes me confused about like are people who don't have a South Asian background reading this and thinking that this is rooted in some actual mm. myth or history of India, which I mean, yes, it's on the reader to do a little bit of research and know that that's not the case, but he puts it off pretty convincingly that, like, this could be something like that. So that's one issue. And then the other issue is, like, I got to the end of the book and I was like, what was the point? Like, there was no message. (laughs) There was no message. And, like, the characters were one-dimensional, so I didn't really get good character development, which would have been okay if the plot had been really interesting, if there was, like, a lot of fantasy adventure. But there wasn't. Like, I think he tries to weave in some feminism but it's really weak and it seems like it was just inserted as an afterthought it's not like actually within the story of like rewriting an alternate version of history but you've read other Salman Rushdie books that you liked right it's probably just like the story I read the Enchantress of Florence a long time ago which was really weird and I think an anomaly for him but I haven't read Midnight's Children or the Satanic Verses which I think are two of his more famous yeah, I, I just bought the Satanic Verses. Mm-hmm. I will follow up on whether it's an author problem or just a story problem. Yeah, I need to know. Also, if any listeners out there have thoughts about if this is a book or an author problem, let us know. But for me, Victory City was not worth the hype. The next book on my list is called Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I think Taylor Jenkins Reid in general has been super popular lately because I... I think she came out with a book this year called Carrie Soto is Back. Oh. 
I think her, probably her most famous book is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Yeah. If you haven't heard of the book, just by me saying it, if you look at the cover, you probably have seen it in every single bookstore you've been to in the past couple years. Um, I have not read that one, actually. I read it. Have you? Mm. Did you like it? Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, is it Was an author problem or a book problem for I you? I think it was a story problem for me. Like, Got it. I think the author wrote the story well and... The way she wrote it made me want to read more. But the issue for me was just the plot, where, like, the premise of the story is that there's this really famous, like, Marilyn Monroe-level actress who had seven different husbands, and the main character is a journalist who is interviewing her and learning about her life to write her story. Like, it was purely a plot issue of that structure, because to me, like, I don't think I would even read a book like that if there was one about Marilyn Monroe, who was a real person. So, like, why would I then read about a fictional person? Mm-hmm. I think even if the structure of the book had been different, where it was just about Evelyn Hugo and her life and the husbands and the acting, I would have liked it. I, It was a me problem. Yeah. No, because that's kind of similar to how Daisy Jones and the Six is. Oh, it's the whole book is written in an interview fashion. Mm-hmm. So it's written like how you would read a script. Oh. Basically, what it's about is the main character is Daisy Jones. She's just kind of this, like, typical, beautiful, rebellious, down-to-earth teenager. And she has a lot of energy and talent, but nowhere to put it. And and she's so young, too, and her, like, parents are not supportive. Blah, blah, blah. It's like a very typical rock star uprising type of story. So there's, in the book, there's a band called The Six, and they cross paths with Daisy Jones, and the book is kind of about how they work together as a collaboration, hence the name Daisy Jones and the Six. Mm -hmm. But I think story-wise, there was nothing, like, shocking or unique about the story. Everything was very predictable. But honestly, I think the fact that it's written in that interview format is what makes the book kind of come alive to me. Mm Mm-hmm. It's in an interview format, so they know that this interview is going to be posted somewhere. Like, I don't know, it kind of breaks that fourth wall a little bit, which I think is always interesting. But yeah, it's super cliche, super fun, while still kind of brushing on the issues of, like, drugs, alcohol, and, like, that general abuse that happens in the music industry. I think it was worth the hype. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a TV series now. Yeah. I've heard the TV series is good. Yeah, I I think it would be good. Nice. Nice. So my next, well, two books are by the same author, R.F. Kuang, who I guess they catapulted to fame after she wrote the Poppy War trilogy. I think that was her first oh, book series. Oh, I've heard of those, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's just been, like, pumping out books since then. Um, she wrote Babel and Yellow Face. Those are her other two books. Mm-hmm. So I read Babel first earlier this year. So the book is set in the mid-19th century, and the genre that you would classify this as is interesting because it is fantasy because there's an element of magic, but it's so subtle and the rest of the story is so realistic that it feels like it would have been set in actual Oxford in the 1800s. So a group of teenagers get selected from around the world to go to Babel, which in this world is Oxford's language and translation school. And while they're there, they learn about silver working, which is a way to manipulate and weaponize translation to create a form of magic. 
so we have four main characters in the book. There's one who we follow from the beginning who comes from China. There's one from France of Haitian descent. There's an English girl. And then there's one from India. So these are the four main characters. And they get pulled deeper and deeper into the institution and ultimately realize the colonial roots of everything and the systemic racism. And then they rebel against them. Interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting premise. Like, the story was really good, but there were also just, like, really interesting elements about language and translation where... I mean, she is of Chinese descent, and she has multiple degrees in Chinese language and literature. So most of it is translation between um, Mandarin and English. But she just includes a lot of these footnotes and little details about the difference between a word when you translate it. And the whole concept of the silver working is like what gets lost in translation, because you can't ever have a direct translation from one word to another in different languages, which is just such an interesting concept to then create this story and this world out of that thought. I feel like it also probably falls into the dark academia kind of Yeah, I was going to say that. But for me, one of the things that makes me nervous about reading about high schoolers and college-age students is what we've been talking about, that like it's like a little YA and immature and characters are not fully fleshed out, but this book didn't have that at all. Like I felt like it was written for an adult audience or like a college audience, but intelligently. I really liked this book. So I would definitely recommend this book. And then the other book was Yellowface because after finishing Babel, I knew that her other, this book was coming out this year and Yellowface is completely different. It's not fantasy. It's set in the current world. There's no magical elements, and it's modern. The premise is about the publishing and writing industry. And kind of, again, she talks a lot about these themes of racism and discrimination. But the thing that impressed me about this book was that the protagonist is really unlikable. Hmm. So the protagonist is white, and the friend in the story is Asian. And... You get everything from the perspective of the protagonist, and you realize how unlikable she is, but it's kind of like a really gnarly car crash where you can't look away. Like, you just have Mm -hmm. to keep reading to figure out what happens. That's really surprising, because I feel like immediately when I realize that I don't like the main character, the book just becomes really hard to read for me. Yeah, yeah, usually that's the case for me too, but I think the way she does it is like, you're not rooting for the character, but you want mm-hmm. to find out what happens. I don't know. It's just done really well, paced very well. I tore through this on an afternoon, literally on my flight to come to your oh. wedding. I like finished the whole book. <laughs> That's actually uh, interesting because I feel like most of the books that you and I have picked so far have been trendy, like, but they haven't been necessarily thought-provoking. So it is really good to see that there's like actually some intelligent, not that those books are not intelligent, but I mean, like just books that make you really think. Yeah, definitely. I think also part of that is like the average age on TikTok is probably 15. Well, we also didn't have social media when we were 15. That's so, like, true. Be, it's a very different landscape. Honestly, when I, when I used to buy a book when I was 15, I would go into a bookstore, read the back of it, be like, huh, this is this sounds good, not knowing its popularity at all. Yeah. Because we didn't have social media to lean on. Or sometimes I would go by like library recommendations. Mm-hmm. Like they have those lists of like summer reading and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's totally different. Like the audience that's curating what's popular now has completely shifted. Yeah. But yeah, Babel and Yellowface both worth the hype. I enjoyed them a lot. Probably two of my favorite books that I've read this year. And apparently she's working on a new novel, which all she said is it's a fantasy about two magical PhD students as they travel to hell to rescue the soul of their advisors so they can write their job recommendation letters, which sounds what? crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like she would write it really interestingly. That Honestly, I'm like, I've been influenced by you to read her books. Yeah. The, the last book that I have is not a book. It's a person. Oh, God. <laughs> so have you read any Ruby Core poems? Mostly, like, as memes on the internet or, like, shortened little Tumblr girl-type posts. I'm so glad you said that. Like, I talk about that in my little soapbox thing that I'm going to be standing on for the next three minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> basically, <laughs> Ruby Core, if you don't know who she is, very famous poet. Arguably, maybe the most famous South Asian poet in current times. And... I'm not saying that she's not talented. I think some of her poems are actually good. But I think there's a difference in someone like who we talked about, like Tori Morrison in our jazz episode, who is a great poet, which we could tell based off reading something by her that wasn't even a poem that she was a great poet. There's a difference between someone like that and someone who can write a one-liner that maybe sounds pretty. And I think that's what Ruby Core does. And literally I wrote in my notes is I feel like her content is better for Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I think that still requires talent. I agree with what you're saying about like catchiness of her poems. When I read her poems, I don't feel like the words are arranged in any kind of meaningful way. I just feel like she's saying a quote-unquote woke sentence and, like, putting line breaks in the middle. Yeah, like, I'm just gonna read a couple of her poems. Yeah. I would say, like, majority of her most popular quotes are one-liners that are way too generic to be called poetry. Yeah. Like, for example, I am a museum full of art and you had your eyes shut. That's it. Do you know what that reminds me of? (laughs) Yeah. In Cinderella's story, at the end, when Hilary Duff comes and, like, gives her speech to Chad Michael Murray, and she's like, waiting for you is like waiting for rain in this drought. Like, useless <laughs> and disappointing. Like, it's just like, yeah. a, like a little, like, punch. Yeah, like, I feel like that's something that you would hear in, like, a song. But, okay, let's move on. Another one is, do not look for healing at the feet of those who broke you. Like, that's just a sentence. That sounds like advice that, like, uh, my like a grandmother would give about getting over a breakup. Yeah. Here's another one. How you love yourself is how you teach others to love you. I feel like she chose the wrong profession. Mm-hmm. Imagine if she had, like, written children's books. Yeah. And, like, each like, of I these lines is associated with, like, a cute little, a like, a picture. mama bear and a baby bear. Like, that would be cute. Okay, and here's a contrast to maybe something that sounds a little bit more like poetry. Stay strong through your pain. Grow flowers from it. You have helped me. Grow flowers out of mine, so bloom beautifully, dangerously, loudly, bloom softly. However you need, 
just blue. I think that's nice. Like, that's yeah. pretty and positive. Do you know the thing I think about her poetry is a lot of her po- poems read like affirmations and not mm-hmm. deep revelations or reflections on the human condition, which a lot of the poems I've read are... 20th century, like modernist poets, because I took a class on that in college and I have like the big anthology. And all of those poems say something really deep and explore something about the human condition. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, this is not to say like anything bad about her, because I think she stands for representation that we need. And I'm not trying to drag her down or be extra critical of her in any way. I will say, like, for people who are interested in poetry and want to know where to go in the contemporary landscape, one poet I really like and I would love to read one of her collections of poetry is Ada Limon. She was named the Poet Laureate of the United States by the Library of Congress. And this was she was the first Latina woman to be named a Poet Laureate. Um, and here is just a short part of a poem from her. Out here, there's a bowing even the trees are doing. Winter's icy hand at the back of all of us. Black bark, slick yellow leaves, a kind of stillness that feels so mute it's almost in another year. Like, that is very pretty to me. And she's clearly mm-hmm. talking about something other than the winter in the trees. Like, the rest of the poem goes on to, like, talk about the human experience and her poetry, like, if you're trying to get something that's not just Wordsworth or, like, Keats, she's a contemporary poet that I think writes really beautiful poems. Nice. Okay, I have one final book to wrap up this discussion, Trust by Hernan Diaz. And this won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction this year, along with Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead. So the book, at its core, it's about a wealthy couple who rose to financial power before and during the Great Depression. And the book kind of chronicles the nature of that fortune and how they attained it and their status and position in that world in New York in the 20s and 30s. Like, I don't want to say more than that because the best way to go into this book is not knowing anything about it. If you do want to know a little more the structure is like a book within a book. Like there's four different sections and the four different sections kind of reveal different things. And overall, like the title trust, the book tries to get to the heart of like what the true narrative is and like different people's perspectives. So I thought this was going to be very interesting going into it. Cause like the topic of like wealth in the twenties and thirties, New York and like, I feel like something just didn't click for me. I wanted to know a lot more about the characters that I didn't get from the book. When instead it talked about like wealth and like anarchy and which is interesting, but like I wanted it through the lens of the characters. And there was a New York Times review that described this book and it said, Diaz's own prose keeps an antiseptic distance of his own, no matter who his narrator might be. And this review was ultimately positive, but I think that might be the issue for me, where I was like, I feel like I'm so distant from these characters, and the characters are what make this story interesting. So then to not, like, the book investigates a thing that I wasn't as interested in and doesn't really investigate the characters and their relationships and motivations as much as I thought it would. It was like a bird's eye view of the situation instead of, like, a close-up Kind of. Yeah. And it was like, like, I felt very distant from the characters. I didn't feel like 
connected to them. So I don't know. I It's hard for me to give my full thoughts without spoiling anything. So, like, the book is fine. Like, I got to the end. It was interesting to read. I just don't understand why it won a Pulitzer. I don't think this book was worth the hype as a Pulitzer winner. I think if you go in expecting, like, that level of quality and, like, revelation. But I still think it's a good story. Yeah, so if you had read this book just randomly and it didn't have, like, the Pulitzer Prize winning label on it, would you have liked it? Probably. I mean, even now, like, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I just, just didn't think it was worth the hype. I wouldn't be like, you have to read this to anyone. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you could read it. It was fine. Well, hopefully we didn't make any enemies during this episode. <laughs> Maybe, if anything, change your mind. Mm-hmm. DM us on Instagram. Send us an email. Yeah, honestly. Like, I feel like a lot of the books we talked about... Like, maybe I just didn't get it. Like, do I just not get Sally Rooney? Maybe. Like, someone explain it to me. All right. Well, this wraps up our season two officially. We will be going on a hiatus, and we will be back with season three. If you're curious about the theme or what books we're picking, definitely follow us on Instagram because we usually do some teasers there, and you'll be able to find out what the upcoming months hold for us. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, spend time with the family, get cozy up, read one of our books from season one or season two, and listen to the episode during this break, and we will see you guys next year. Thanks for listening to The Novelty. We are your hosts, Neha and Shruti, and our music is created by Apoorva Koti. We love to hear from you, so send us book recommendations, episode commentary, or even critical feedback. You can find us on Instagram at thenovelty.pod or email us at thenovelty.pod at gmail.com. Until next time, happy reading.